Uh, if you have one, if you don't, okay, well, we'll work it up so that you will have an answer. What is the idea of in Christ Jesus? You know, you do find that in the scriptures, don't you? Well, let me see here. Uh, a good passage would be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at it over here. Hmm. And I think, we, I think it's going to be, make it really easy to, to catch on to what the idea of in Christ is. What do you think it might be? Anybody got an idea? Just give me a, a little guess of what you think it might be. And then we'll go from there. No? You don't want to guess, huh? How about stuck in his belly? You know, I had a young, young lady who wanted to get saved, and she asked, Jesus Christ, come into her belly. <laughs> now, that was just a little kid like that. It happened to be my daughter, which I have five of. I used to think that was a bad thing, but I had an elderly fellow. I'm, I'm getting elder now. I'm only 85 now, though. It's not, you know, it's not too bad. But uh, he said, you'll be glad for every daughter you get. He said, they'll always love their dad. And I recommend that, fellas. Get all the daughters you can, because that's, that's, that's correct if you're raising up right in the Lord. Now, in Christ Jesus, let's look at a passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 22. What does it say? Can I read it? For as in Christ, no, it didn't say that, did it? It says as in Adam. Hmm. Have you any idea what it means to be in Adam? Now, do you know? What does it mean to be in Adam? It means patterned after his genetics, right? After his nature, after his general format as a human being. So, as in Adam... That means we're going to talk to something about something here that has, is the same idea, right? I mean, that's what I'm going to anticipate since it says as in Adam. And we do know what in Adam is. And association is a great way to teach. As a matter of fact, that's about the only way we can learn. You can't learn something new if you've never been around anything like it until you begin to get it associated with things that you do know. You understand? And then you can extend from that. And then you do repetition. And through all of those methods, that's how we learn. And so the Lord happened to be our designer, and he knows how he designed us to learn. So he's using that technique right here, as in Adam. And we do know what that means, don't we? I mean, we've got a real feel for that all of a sudden. Truly? Do you, have you girls got that? Are you an Adam? Hmm? Are you just, I mean, physically, where did you get your genetics? Who was the author of our genetics? It came through procreation, through Adam, didn't it? And Eve even came through that pattern with little modifications, and I really do appreciate that modification, guys. Okay? But it all came through the DNA of Adam which, with its modifications in the X and the Y cro chromosomes. Uh, you all know what that is? You all do go have school here in, here in this area, right? Okay. 
Now, you girls, are you, are you with us? Now you know what it means to be an Adam. Okay. I think you had or something, honey. We're going to have to stick a pin on you. Now it says, for as in Adam all die, even so. Use that idea to think about this next phrase. What does it say? Have you got it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. In Christ shall all be, in Adam all die. That's, that's a consequence of having the pattern of Adam. We all die. Then it says, even so. In other words, use that idea and understand that in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, now what does that mean? Well, that, that's telling me that we're going to have to change, have some changes in our pattern, right? A change in our pattern. It's going it, to have to be an entire change of genetics, right? But it's not going to be the genetics of procreation. Let's see what we're talking. You all know what I mean by that. That's the normal way people have children. The mama offers some genes, and the, boy, and the daddy offers some genes, and, and they have dominant genes. Maybe daddy's got some of them. They're going to look sort of like daddy in this way, and they're going to look like, sort of like mama from the other way. There'll be a, a mixture of it, right? And that's, that's, but we need an entire, he's, he's saying if we're going to have the genetics of Adam, we're going to end up experiencing eternal death. If I studied more Bible here, I'd realize we're going to have eternal life if we're in the pattern of Jesus Christ. How? Genetically. So we're going to have to think in terms of a new birth. You understand? But it's not going to be by procreation. It's going to be by creation, a work of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's, uh, let's look at that. It says, as in all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive now, I have a, another reference verse that I'd like for you to look at. It's Titus 3.5. Let's see here. Titus 3.5 says, not, not by works of righteousness. In other words, well, not by works of righteousness, right? It's something that we don't get by moral behavior and and being good and doing physically or spiritually, morally acceptable things to God, right? It says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So the, what's the spiritual economics by which this occurs? Well, it's by something other than works. It's according to his mercy. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Now, when it says not of works, it can't be and works. See? That, the wording of that rules out. And there's other places like Romans chapter 11, verse 6, where it says, anybody mathematician ordered or, uh, around here? There are sets of things, like all the females and all the males, and they're mutually exclusive sets. If you're a male, you're not a female. 
thing. Some people get confused about that these days, don't they? <laughs> My goodness. Well, I, I guess I'm an old passe uh, scientist and, and engineer. I, I, I skipped out on what's going on right, right today. It doesn't make sense to me, you know. But at any rate, uh, they're mutually exclusive sets. And there are things that are mutually exclusive sets, and works and grace are mutually exclusive sets. I'm having trouble with my brand-new tea. And <clears throat> since, we ha since we are mutually exclusive sets, then you see a passage in Scripture that says, if it is of works, it is what? Not of grace. If it is grace, it's not of works. They're mutually exclusive. They don't go together. They don't mix in any way. You're either saved by grace or you're saved by works. And works I call one spiritual economy applied, <laughs> and the other is a different con material, uh, spiritual economy applied. Different heavenly jurisprudence. You see, you, you pass over from one jurisprudence where your works work against you. I mean, your sins work against you. And the other is where God has forgotten those issues in your life. It doesn't count. And I'm glad I'm under the economy of grace today. Aren't you? If I passed over that whenever I took on the new genetics, and here's what he's saying. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And by the washing, a cleansing. See, that means taking away your sins or covering your sins. Right? And here's how it says, it says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God. The washing or cleansing of regeneration. Now, if you were looking into your concordance, and, and you want to do that once in a while, you see what that word means. It means recreated. Recreated. There's been a, a recreation in the person that's saved, so they have now different genetics than they had. And guess whose genetics they have? What pattern are they now created in? What kind of a pattern that creation that new that new regeneration that the uh, Holy Spirit performed what happened to you what happened to you when you trusted Christ you were immediately born again of the Spirit right and in your spirit now did you know that you are a threefold creature yeah that's another concept concept of man see and, and it mingles. When you get the concepts down, you'll find they mingle and things begin to make sense that didn't make sense to you before. The concept of man. In 1 Thessalonians chapter, I think it's 5 verse 23. What does it say there? He, he wanted us to be completely cleaned up. Uh, the, the apostle Paul in the writing, he, he was praying that and he said he wanted our whole what i'm going to say body soul and spirit did he say that be
taken care of by the Lord and, and, and us living in a right pattern of life in all elements of our being, which is body, soul, and spirit. Is that what he said? Have you read that lately? Well, you can read it, and it doesn't say that, but you'll say that every time because you're, all, you're a physical person. You're always looking at the physical part first. God looks at, to the spiritual aspect first. He calls why? And he didn't say that. He said, your whole spirit and soul and body. Now, we need to define that very quickly. And we could go on, on that session, on that concept for quite a long time. Let's, let's do it quickly. The body, we know what is, right? We don't know necessarily what the soul or the spirit is, but we can use that principle of association again, can't we? Soul is... Inner, it's the, it's the aspect of your self-awareness. And your self-awareness is very important. A lot of religions try to deny that, that that's a valid experience. But it's the most important aspect of man because it's eternal. And we're going to have a sense of ourself and, and we'll function within ourselves. And if nothing else existed, we would just be well aware of ourselves. That's, what you're, that, that's how to think about the soul. The body, we know what it is, and it is what allows the soul to reach outside himself. So what, what, uh, what system does it allow us to be aware of? The spiritual world? Huh? Is that what our body has given to us to do? To allow us as an individual to reach out and be functionally aware in the spiritual world? Is that what you think your body is for? No. It's to be functional awareness in the physical world. Now, when you die, what happens to you? Your soul departs from your body. Have you ever read that in Genesis and other places? When the wife of, who was it? Who, who was it, the lady that died bearing a child? And in the course of her bearing the child, she died for her soul departed. When your body, therefore, the biblical principle of physical death is when your soul departs from your body. Huh? That's physical death, right? That's how the Bible defines it. If you didn't know that, now you do. And you won't forget it, right? Now we go to the spirit. That's, that's the mysterious part of it here. But I think we have a, a clear analogy between the body and the spirit. If the body is given to us by God in order to reach outside ourselves and be functionally aware in the physical world, what would then be the spirit? It would be the analogy of the body toward the spirit world, right? In other words, it, it enables us to be not only aware of ourselves, and function within ourselves in that thinking, the things that come from the inner man, the centered and so. But the spiritual aspect of man allows him to reach outside himself to what? What realm? See, there's three realms here. There's a realm of the physical, there's a realm of self, and there's a realm of spirit. And we're equipped to function in all three. How about that? Neat, huh? 
So the Spirit would be well defined as the aspect that God gave us as a means of reaching out from ourselves toward Him. It, it, that's the main thing that we are wanting to be spiritually functional toward, but we're also spiritually functioning toward all these other spirits and things, persons. However, spiritual, there is a physical death, and it's defined as when the soul leaves the body. But then there is a spiritual death, and it occurs when our spirit is separated from God. What separates us from God? Your sins have what? Something between you and your God? What is that? Your sins are separated between you and your, and your God. That is the definition of spiritual death. Now, God says we need to be born again spiritually. We need to be also re, re created in our body. It's all, and who, who provides the pattern of our new body and our new soul and our new spirit? Who provides the pattern of our new spirit? If you've been born again, you have a new spirit, a new spiritual aspect of your being, right? Now that's spiritual life. Now you remember the, the passage in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you, and, and verse 2 I think, and it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. So here's a creature that's being uh, spoken of who was saved. They were dead. How were they dead? They weren't dead physically, were they? No, he's talking to people that are alive physically, who have been saved. That's Ephesians chapter 2 by the Apostle Paul. Now, understand that verse. You can understand it now. Because where, how were you dead? You were dead spiritually. And now you're alive spiritually. And alive physically. Right? One day you're going to be, well, dead Physically and alive. Spiritually. Right? Because you have the spiritual pattern after the pattern of Christ. He provides the, spirit, the, the pattern of our new nature spiritually. Now, how righteous is that new nature that we have? If it comes from according to the pattern of Christ, how righteous is that inner man? Hmm? How righteous is Christ? How great is he? Is he righteous to, to uh, a high degree? Or is he infinitely righteous? Can he sin? God can't sin because he's infinitely righteous. Isn't that correct? Uh, we're, we're dealing with the concept of God. We're dealing with the concept of in Christ. We're dealing with the concept of man all at the same time. You see, generally I put them all one at a time and then blend them. But I'm trying to get a little further down the line in your curiosities. 
and you're excited to know. And the excitement of realizing these things. What if, if it is Christ, if it is patterned after Christ, our spiritual aspect, now we have a righteous spirit, right? And that the Bible says we are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus means what? Same thing as in Adam. We now have the pattern after Christ in our inner man. And then where does the Heavenly Father look at us in order to determine how he's going to deal with us, how he's going to see us as, as acceptable or not? Does he look at the body? Does he look at the outer, the height of the stature and the external aspects of man? Or does he look up on the heart as the moral standard of the inner man, what you don't see? That's why it's using the term heart or range in some instances. That's kidney. It's getting onto the inside of you. God looks at the inner man, right? And therefore, how is the Heavenly Father now looking at you? Well, what's the pattern that you have been born with or been recreated with if you've trusted Christ as your Savior? What's the pattern? Isn't it Christ? Didn't he, for, didn't he provide the pattern? He's a, well, he might even be called the last Adam. Let's look over here to 1 Corinthians again. Uh, let's see. Chapter 15. And um, let's go over around verse 42. Where it says, so also the resurrection of the dead, it is sown in corruption, is raised in incorruption, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in incorruption. Now there's another pattern. The pattern for the resurrected body. Who's going to provide the pattern of the resurrected body? If we've been saved. Are you going to be resurrected? Who's going to provide the pattern for the resurrected body? It's going to be incorruptible. It'll not rot or decay. Or it won't be corrupted in its morals in the body. Who's going to provide that pattern of our resurrected body? Why the resurrected Christ? Did you know there would be no pattern for it if he wasn't resurrected? Some people say, well, what's the significance of the resurrection? Well, it's very significant. In Hebrews, it says he took the blood up into the Holy of Holies that he just, in a, in a, as to show the, that he had paid the price. I know the Heavenly Father knows, but there's heavenly jurisprudence. You have to put it before the court, the high court, right? And the high court has to receive it. It was a real test of Christ that day to see that he had not failed in any aspect of what he had done for us for our redemption. You got to appreciate he didn't, he, he passed the test. He came back. But also he came, he came in his resurrected body. Am, am I right? Was that different than his body before he was resurrected? Well, sure, that body died, didn't it? So who gave us the pattern of the resurrected body which, without which we would ever, not ever be 
able to be resurrected if we didn't have that pattern. Who is our body? We know who our spirit is patterned after, do we not? It's patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. The Heavenly Father sees us as Christ, as righteousness. He says we have the, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus means what? He has the pattern out of which we are formed into our new man. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Hopefully that will change and enlighten your perspective throughout the rest of your entire life. And it's the basis of the security of the believer. Because God has accepted us on the basis of who Christ is, not on the basis of what we were. And it happened immediately when we trusted Christ. Or by 524 of John, what does it say there? He says, he that believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation. Those, look at the tenses of those verbs. But is, it's an instantaneous thing, like that. You trusted Christ more, faster than one nanosecond. You, you became a new creature. And will change forever. It cannot be changed back because you'd have to now sin in the eyes of God. And in your, you're going to give account to Christ, but you're going to be now accounted for the, the judgment seat of Christ. For the, and that's not a test to see if you're lost or saved. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Write that in your notes. The judgment seat of Christ is, is what it's called. But there it's, it's, it's uh, determined what kind of a judgment it is. They're going to judge you for your works that you've done as a Christian. But it tells us he's not judging us to see if we're lost or saved, but for our position and possession in his kingdom, which you're going to be concerned about when you get up there, when, when the, the Lord's carrying that out. But it says... It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. So it's going to be raised up and patterned after Jesus Christ. And here's how it's put here in this passage. It's very interesting. He says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. In other words, it's not going to be physically driven, but it's going to be physically compatible. It's going to be another body, and, and it's going to be like a body like Christ's body. You remember how he came, and, and he said, hey, I want, give me some of that stuff to eat, and he had them to touch him and feel of the scars in his hand. I was talking to someone who said, I don't, I don't know if the resurrection happened. I said, oh, my goodness. Well, then there's possibly no resurrection for us because that's going to form the pattern that God's going to use to form our body when he comes. Patterned after Christ. It's all patterned after Christ. If it's patterned after Christ, it's 
it's eternal. There'll never be another fall. And so, so it is written, the first man, Adam, I'm reading 1 Corinthians 15, now verse 45, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening. What does quickening mean? Come on. Speak up. I, I don't. Oh, I know. Somebody, somebody put some good zombie material in you. I, I wouldn't let them do that anymore. You are alive and, and can react, right? Okay. Quickening means what? Made alive. That's what it means. So, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a what? Come on. Life giving spirit. Now, the reason I, I pulled up that verse for you is Christ here is referred to as the last Adam. Not the second or the third or the fifth or whatever. The second Adam. Because there's only been two major models of humanity. Not a bunch. Starting with Adam. And then with Christ. Did you know that all of that started out, though, there's a passage in uh, Revelation chapter mm, 19. Mm. Basically says the spirit of all prophecy, all of it, was of Christ. All those prophecies from the days of, of Adam all the way down to now, or whenever prophecies were given, the spirit behind it was the testimony of Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, I, I really strongly believe that people were, Adam was saved. Cain was saved. Those ancients were saved. I know, I know Job was saved. He said, my Redeemer liveth. I'll stand on the earth in the latter days. Huh? He'll stand on the earth in the latter days. And in his body, I will see him. He knew about it, didn't he? Well, this, I want you to ponder this, this Matthew chapter 2232. 2232. He had a bunch of guys that was trying to rag him out, called Pharisees. And they, um, they denied the resurrection, that it, that it would happen. And the Lord's reply to them was, you don't know the power of God and you don't know the scriptures. Well, he said, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You remember the guys that he, um, he mentioned that were the living? They had been physically dead for, some of them, 1,400 years. The day of Christ, 1,400 years. Yet, they were physically dead. But God counted them as live. When you die, you'll be classified among the living when you die physically. Because you won't die in the eyes of the Heavenly Father. He classifies you as the living. And that's because you put your trust in Him and you've been remodeled. <laughs> 
according to the standard or the pattern of Jesus Christ. It'll be completed on the day of your resurrection, right? And that's our hope. Now, hope doesn't mean hope. Maybe that's going to happen or something. It means confident expectation. Why? Because believing means confident reliance. You put full confidence in him, no doubting. So you're not going to put any doubting in receiving what he's promised you later. So it's, it's confident expectation is what I call hope biblically. Hmm? Well, okay, where was I? So Christ is called the last Adam because he has provided the genetics of the new pattern, the new creation. Do you understand? Had you understood that before? Yeah, yeah, you know all about that, didn't you? But do you understand it now? And will you hold it in your heart? Realize what's happened to you. Why? That it's a done deal for you. Because what we've talked about here today is the fundamental underpinning of the security of the believer. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. What you've done for us. You know what he's done for you for salvation? He's done everything but ask for you. The reason you can't do that is because it's got to be your choice. You understand? You were made in his image. You have the right to make the decision for yourself. But you're giving him the right to recreate you in his image. <laughs> I'm glad that he's done, done that. Aren't you? Aren't you glad? Don't you have a testimony of Christ? You know, you know what starts all that work of God in you is to hear the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's a supernatural thing. It's like a big computer up here with all the knowledge and had everything figured. And whenever you hear or present the gospel to someone, there's an act of God takes place that's supernatural. And that act is to transfer from his mind to our mind where we conclude. You know, I studied biomedical engineering like Dr. Paul was. And I, it was visual perception. I studied it specifically as how do we come to the conclusion that that's a dog? Because all that happened was electrochemical things of electromagnetic power or frequency. And somehow we transferred that to a dog. We went through sensing all the data. We went through the process of logic as to what we were going to conclude. We came to a conclusion. And with the limitations of human capability, we make mistakes about our conclusion. I thought that was Susie. No, it's not Susie. She looks a lot like her, but when you get a 
around front and looking different ways. It's not Susie. But God is omniscient and omni. He has an infinite understanding. He doesn't have to go through all that process. He knows it immediately, see? And he transfers that conclusion into your spot of conclusion in your brain supernaturally so that you know without a shadow of a doubt in a supernatural, you don't know who Jesus Christ is. Peter was asked by the Lord Jesus Christ, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, you're the Christ. That means you're the one that's been prophesied of since the days of Adam. And if you don't, if you doubt me that he's been prophesied of since the days of Adam, remember the testimony of Christ is what? The spirit of all prophecy. All prophecy. None. And it tells you in, in Acts chapter 3. Go over there and look at the summary on the, of the sermon of Peter to them. He said all the prophets knew of Christ. All the prophets. And it was their principal thing. You say, well, I don't see that so, so open in the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament is just kind of a sketch of the trail leading up to Christ. But that's not all that those folks knew. Or we wouldn't have, no, we could never, I mean, we'd never really find it out because it would be too much trouble to go through all those things. But he gave the New Testament to us to, to, to let us know that those things were going on with our anchors just like it is with us. See, he told those people that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were alive. And we now know what that means, don't we? They were alive in God's category of life, which is spiritual life. Hmm? And so are you if you've trusted Christ. And I really, I really have burdens because in order for them to even get by the first barrier and ask the Lord Jesus Christ effectively for that gift, of everlasting life that he offered the woman at the well. He said, you have to know who I am. And you have to know the gift. And, and the word belief means, well, look in Romans. Chapter 4, I believe, where the Apostle Paul describes for us what it means. It means by supernatural power, and it only comes by supernatural power, I'm going to transfer you that absolute certainty into your mind out of the mind of the Heavenly Father through the Spirit of God. That's how you know for sure. When you ask Jesus for Savior, you must ask Him with full confidence. Otherwise, it's unbelief, isn't it? Will He, will he respond to unbelief? That's something you need to kind of look back on. A lot of people are make professions under the influence of culture and not under the influence and full knowledge of who he really is because you must ask him. And that's no problem. Don't worry about it. God does that for you when you give him the gospel.
I thought that was interesting when the apostle, when, when the Lord Jesus talking at the, well, at the well, he said, if you knew the gift that I was offering, if you knew who I am, you could ask me and I would give it to you. The gift of everlasting life. He said, living water. But then he defined it and let us know he was talking about everlasting life. And what's, what's the issue of knowing who he is? When, when Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, the incarnate God, Peter said, well, flesh and God, blessed art thou, Simon Barjonas. Flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you. It's impossible within the limitations of our capability of seeing, calculating, and coming to the, uh, an absolute certain picture and view and attitude. See, it's attitude of absolute certainty so that you can put being fully persuaded. That's what it means to believe. Being fully persuaded that what God promised he would do. Well, that causes me to understand that there's a lot of professions that are just based upon, yeah, I, I, I think I know who he is. I mean, that's really their, their attitudes because they can't possibly know who he, who he is unless God intervenes. God intervenes through the gospel. It's the power of God. It's supernatural. And it allows them to come to a place where they can say, Lord, I know who you are. You know, every time I lead someone to the Lord, I ask them, are you saved? And a lot of times they'll, well, I hope so. What's your problem? They didn't know for sure who he was. Or if they did, they hadn't quite realized it yet. So, so I'll generally ask them, well, do you think Jesus Christ could lie to you? Now, if they really know who he is, that's when they start rising up with acid in their spirit saying, well, no, he cannot lie. And then when they realize that they really know who he is, they can ask him. And I say, well, ask him again if you know that and if you're sure. And they get peace and assurance. A heavy load has lifted off of them. Their sense of God's wrath against them. It's deep seated. You may not even understand it, but you are walking around with an anxiety that cannot be resolved in any other way than the right answer to Christ. Yes, I know who you are. I know your gift is real. And your promises cannot be broken. Have you had that experience in your life? If you go back and think about the time you were saved. I was saved when I was 14. That's 71 years ago. I still have that as a memorable event of experiencing relief and peace. I was dealing with a lady just here recently, and she said, Brother Disney, I get so confused about this, this how to be saved. Could you teach me? I taught her, taught her the gospel first, you know. And uh, then I began to talk to her about these kind of salvation God gives. 
And she said, I thought I was saved when I was a little girl at, at a church camp. And when we got done with our teaching her, she said, oh, yes, I was saved. Because, and she remembered. She remembered the event. It started all coming back to her. And she remembered the mark that God puts upon us as this is done. Oh, it comes in all different forms, but it, it should be a memorable point that something happened that was very special there. Not just, oh, now I'm a Christian because I asked him to save me. And sometimes it's very critical to explain what you mean so that they'll know how to word things. And I mean, you don't have to have any specific words, but you have to realize that you have reached a mark where God can say yeah and that is yes when you really know and that's what it means to believe See, it isn't just yeah I don't know but I, I'll do it just in case that doesn't work right well pastor I, I, I'm sure I've overcome my time so would you please take over and the Lord bless you